Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today's guest is a very brave lady who has only very recently shared her fertility prognosis with the world including many of her friends. Charlie Watson, better known as the Runner Beans, was born with a condition called MRKH, which means although she has functioning ovaries, her uterus and cervix didn't develop properly, meaning she won't be able to carry her own children. Charlie discusses how her and her husband Tom will soon start IVF to prepare for surrogacy, their own unique journey to having their own unique family. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing good, thank you. They're wishing I was also in Dubai with a slightly better weather <laughs> than we have right here. I know. This is the time when I can be the one that actually gloats because this is our like really perfect time of year. And then we have like six months of horrific heat and it's awful. And then you guys are all like, oh, it's so lovely outside. I'm just going to um, put my shorts on and we're like, oh, we're melting. <laughs> No one has it perfect all the time. So absolutely. I, I know, absolutely. And then we get all the lovely um, pictures of everyone running in the countryside or by the beach and we're like stuck indoors on the treadmills with the AC turned up full, full volume and everything. But it's good for us. We are very lucky um, for, to enjoy this, this six months. So thank you so much for coming and joining me. Um, to start with, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just talking actually about your Instagram account and, um, and how it all started and, and the success behind it, really, because you are a, a very successful um, blogger. Oh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's hard to see your own, like I, I don't see it as a success yet, if that makes sense. But um, so it's, not, it's nice to have a bit of reassurance from other people. But yeah, so my, my Instagram came off the back of my blog actually um, I got told I had a blog about running that was primarily focused on getting my friends and family to sponsor me to do the London Marathon back in 2012 did it for mind and wanted to raise raise some cash so shared how awful it was how hard the training was <laughs> how much I deserved their donations and used the blog as a tool to stay motivated and to keep working out I'd lost a bit of weight and um, so I used it as a tool to kind of motivate myself as some inspiration and because I just really enjoyed it I was working yeah. in magazines at the time and I really enjoyed writing about something something so else help, helps you to stay accountable a bit doesn't it yeah so I started yeah the Instagram someone was like oh if you've got a blog you have to have an Instagram and um, the other day I scrolled all the way back through to my very first few Instagrams and there was like three likes horrendous <laughs> filters of anything <laughs> um yeah so it's grown it's grown since then just become more of a running account and then also become more of a life not lifestyle but more a kind of I feel like on the run people open up you share you talk more about life about 
going to the toilet and what you've eaten and how things are in your relationship way more than you do in normal life and I feel mm -hmm. like I've I've transitioned my Instagrams from being just about running to kind of things you talk about in the run things you admit things that come up um a little bit about mental health and I'm sure as we will chat about later a bit re more recently about fertility absolutely I am I used to um be a PT and um, I used to say to my husband that I'm sort of partly PT and partly sort of counsellor, psychotherapist, <laughs> psychologist, because um, it's so true. As soon as you start moving, um, it's kind of a, it's a it's like an invitation to open up and, and be much more. Um, I just think people feel more relaxed to be able to talk because they're they're focused. They're, they're sort of focusing on something else at the same time and it takes the, the pressure off, doesn't it? Um, so where I normally. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say. I find it easier because you're not looking someone in the eye all the Absolutely, time. You're yeah. side by side or you're kind of working out and you're not, it's much harder sitting across the table from someone to open up and to feel a bit more vulnerable. Whereas I think when you're on the run, you're, you know, you're in your own sort of, um, your own sort of, your, your own sort of head. And so you, and you feel like it's, right, well, this is a good opportunity to chat. I don't, we don't have to sit down. We're both focusing on something else, which is our feet and our movement. But yeah, let's kind of chat. Um, I so, definitely open up a lot on the run. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually talking to someone tomorrow who has um, started um, something called the Rainbow Running Club. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, so for women who have suffered um, fertility problems or baby loss. Um, so it's, you know, it's like a club, a tribe. Um, so... Uh, it's for the same exactly the same reasons I think so I'm really looking forward to speaking to her tomorrow actually so that podcast will be coming out soon too so sorry what I was going to say is I normally start my um the podcast with um how you met your partner how you met Tom um I met Tom so we met through a mutual friend um Tom was at uni with my friend Joe, who I'd been at school with and we officially met at a their housewarming party when they moved to London uh, back in 2012 but unofficially Tom remembers meeting me when we were at uni which I don't remember and then we found a photo where I'm in the, <laughs> in the background and we were like oh yeah he made a big um, impression then <laughs> yeah so um yeah met at this met, met at their housewarming he tried to impress me with his Ikea building, like furniture building skills. And he had a chest of drawers where one drawer was white and the rest of it was black and he was just going to leave it. And I was like, you absolutely cannot leave this. Um, so. Well, yeah. I, hope, I hope you've taken charge on the interiors in your house now then. <laughs> yes. Although it's a funny one because he's very particular. I'm very messy. He is very particular. So he's a pilot. So you kind of, it's a, a you know, trait that you, want in someone that's flying a plane but it's quite <laughs> not with quite someone you're living with though <laughs> we're quite hard to live with each other which I, as I said very messy so yeah we the interiors is a kind of joint ish thing I would say I have the final say <laughs> let's um, let's hope he doesn't listen then <laughs> so um we're here today because um to talk about MRKH um, which I'm going to get you to say the, the full name of what that actually is oh, and what it means. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I mean, I may have to look this up. It's like Mayo 
something Rokitansky's. Let me just, um, it's, it's something that is, it's weirdly um, quite, when I say quite common, one in 5,000, four and a half thousand to 5,000 women have it, but mm-hmm. I have never been to a doctor that knew what it was or has heard of it. Is that right? Um, because when I messaged you on Instagram, obviously I'm a midwife and um, I also was ashamed to say I hadn't heard of it before either. Um, so while you And I think you probably wouldn't have heard of it as a midwife because no one's coming in. No, true. So that true. I feel like, and I, I would say that's been one, that has been one of the hardest things as, you know, going through the last sort of, 15-ish years since I was diagnosed having to explain every single time even at the fertility clinic when mm. um when they were like oh how regular appears and I had to be like well the reason we're here is because of this and it was I found it that quite frustrating quite upsetting but anyways it's Mayer Rokitansky Kusterhauser syndrome and thank you <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do, do you want some water <laughs> um so MRKH, much easier. <laughs> and basically, it's, um, there's two types of it. So one can be just an underdeveloped or missing uterus and vagina. So it can be, um, you can have it partially formed or not at all. And then there's the second type where it's, de- it's missing and you also have um, kidney issues. So you can often be missing a kidney and the other one can be floating. You can have hearing loss. Um, or hearing issues, you can have um, spinal, um, uh, what's the word, scoliosis, so mm-hmm. curvature of the spine, yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of a host of other issues linked to it. I mean, up until this year, I was like, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm so unlucky to have this. But upon like listening and researching more I've got type one and so I'm like I'm so lucky that I've got two kidneys and my spine isn't curved and I can hear properly and and it's really reframed my me accepting and I'm like gosh I'm so lucky actually Mm -hmm. to just had this one (laughs) Um, so when when were you diagnosed when did you first find out about it and how 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 was it I was 16 and I had been in a lot of stomach pain and throwing up and still never got to the bottom of what that issue was. But I went to the hospital because I wasn't keeping anything down and hadn't for a few days. And they couldn't work out what the stomach pain was. And so I went to, I went, must have gone to, I think, Hammersmith Hospital. And... We, I had had scans, um, they did an ul- ultrasound and a vaginal, is it called, a, would it be called a vaginal ultrasound? Mm-hmm. And basically they were like, oh, we can't find anything or we could, you know, your uterus is not there. And they, so this 16 year old, I'm still really angry about it. They were like, oh, we're going to get our students in. So I'm 16 in there and they oh, had a whole wow. head. Obviously they'd never seen it before. Um, and it was around then that they kind of, they were like, are you sexually active? That awful moment where you are sitting with your a parent. And yeah. just said, yes. So I had a boyfriend at the time, so I didn't realize anything was wrong. Um, hadn't had any issues. And 
oh, that hadn't started my period. I just thought my mum started late. I thought oh, I'm just started late or something, you know, some sort of hormones out of whack, but I wasn't worried about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I kind of got that, not the full diagnosis, but they said, oh, I think you need to pop over to Queen Charlotte. And again, here's where I was so lucky in that Queen Charlotte is like the MRKH specialist for the whole of the UK. And oh, wow. Next to the one that I was in, which is so... Again, it's the serendipitous. I was just like, I'm so lucky, actually, that people knew what it was there. They could diagnose it quickly. They could have experts on hand to talk to me. And they did offer me counselling at the time, but I just didn't want to know. I just kind of blocked it out and mm-hmm. thought, I don't really know what this means for my future, but um, it's, I'm not, I don't want a baby now, so whatever. I just kind of got on with my you know, teenage upper you know sixth form years and had a lot yeah. of fun and kind of tried to forget about it. <laughs> did you feel did you feel old enough to kind of handle the information no and I don't I don't think I think almost it was potentially easier to handle it at that time because I didn't handle it if that makes sense I think it would have been a lot harder finding out later when people are trying to get pregnant I think yeah. those infertility uh, personally, I think I would have found that a lot harder um, because it's not something that I felt was taken away from me because I never had tr- I hadn't tried for it. So for all the years I've been thinking about it, really, I've known that that was what I was going to have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just think at that point, I just didn't process it. I, I just... I tried to tell myself, oh, well, it's really lucky you don't get periods and you don't have to deal with that and <laughs> don't have to, you know, stress about accidentally getting pregnant or yeah. um, that sort of thing. And told, I think I told one person and that's it. And wow. I just didn't, didn't deal with it at all. So has that been the case for the last 15 years? Like when do you feel you've started to kind of relook at what's going on? So I've, I talked to more people, a few more people um, over the years, still a very small number over the last, I would say five years. There was a a good 10 year period where I didn't really tell anybody. Um, Over the last five years, I think it's coincided with as my friends are getting pregnant or starting to try for families. Mm -hmm. Part of it was wanting people to know sort of before that but also you don't want to be the one that they tell you your lovely their lovely news and then you're like oh by the way this is my situation and make them feel in any way guilty or in any way that they can't tell me their lovely news um that's so, very yeah. very considerate of you <laughs> i mean it's been some of my very closest friends that have known and and obviously tom um, so yeah, we, we kind of, it was actually him that started talking to his friends about it sooner than I talked to my friends about it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in terms of our, like, right, we're going down the surrogacy route. He certainly started, felt more that he could talk to his friends more than I felt like I could talk to mine, I think. Yeah. So what, how, how did you tell Tom about it? How did, um, and then from telling Honestly, Tom and then I to move it. Drunkenly. Honestly, it was probably drunkenly one evening. Uh, yeah. It's the easiest uh, way often, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like the truth serum. And I think, um, yeah, 
I, I don't actually remember when, but it's been like a long, long time ago. And I think it was, I think it was almost in like dribs and drabs talking about like, okay, you know, if we're considering this, we're going to have to have fertility treatment and, and then explaining a bit more about it. And then saying, look, our option is this. So you've always kind of wanted children. That's always been part of your conversation. 100%. Both of us have said we always, we've always wanted kids. Um, I've known, like, even from a really young age, I've always wanted to be a mum. And I also had looked up, even when I was 16, I knew that surrogacy was an option. So I think I've always thought it's not the end of the world. I know this is a really expensive, quite... Uh, experimental-ish, not experimental, but quite, quite, still quite new-ish, uh, you know, way of creating a family. But I've always known that that was an option. Mm-hmm. So that's always just been my plan. Um, so I think I went in being like, this is, this is how we're going to have to have a kid. Um, yeah. So yeah. can you explain the, the process that you're, you're now sort of facing? Because you're just starting on your journey. Is that right? Yeah. So... With this, so there's two types of surrogacy. There's what's called a gestational carrier and then a traditional surrogacy. With the gestational carrier, it um, will be my uh, egg and Tom's sperm will create the embryo and then it will just be look, looked after for the nine yeah. months by somebody else. Housed. Yeah, the traditional <laughs> surrogacy is where you use the um, surrogate's egg and then mm. the, the dad's sperm or uh, donor sperm. Uh, so we're doing the, yeah, it'll be genetically completely, Yours. completely ours. Mm-hmm. So we are in the process of doing IVF at the moment. Well, we're starting it in January. I had a freak out that I work on COVID wards and I was like, I'm not in the best health right now. I need to <laughs> wait for long. You feel like you're spending so much money. I was like, I want to be in the best physical shape. Um, so, so are you having to go down it? Pri- you're having to do it privately then? Is that, yeah, a, cho- so- is that a choice or...? No, in the UK, they won't, if you're having it um, by a surrogate, they will not pay for, the NHS will not pay for IVF. Even though that's your only option? Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Uh-huh. And you can make specific requests to your CCG, which I have done. Apparently, Reading is one of the notoriously worst. They don't pay for anybody's IVF unless you've been through cancer. Um, and they have just not responded. So oh, gosh. And it was at the point where it was, I was just like, I just want to get going. I don't want to fight. I feel like I've, it's so emotional and it's such an emotional burden to go through all this. I cannot also fight a CCG, fight the NHS. Yeah. It's frustrating. I find it frustrating because I work for the NHS. There are um, gynecologists working literally like a hundred meters from my office and I'm like why can't you just do a blood test rather than me having to pay a hundred pounds to have this or more to have this blood test um but yeah it's although the the, NHS is absolutely brilliant they do they make cost-cutting decisions and they've just said right if it's via surrogate there's nothing nothing's covered so is starting now is that a financial decision did you have to wait until you were ready or is it more of a emotional decision that now's the time it's it's emotional we are again very fortunate in the fact that we've known about this for a really long time Mm -hmm. so um we've i'm really lucky my parents have put money aside we 
bought a slightly cheaper house than we would have done. Um, you know, we our mortgage is really low to not have massive overheads. Yeah. We, we've known about it. So we just have been sort of planning for it for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I'm also, again, very fortunate. We did have to kind of think about things in terms of my husband's uh, works for in the travel industry. So it's been a bit up and down and we didn't know whether he was going to be made redundant yeah. over the summer. So that was a bit worrying, but we kind of just thought, we know this is a cost that we're going to have to spend at some point. So let's, let's get cracking kind of thing. Wow. And how do you, what's, what's the, what's the process for finding a surrogate for finding someone to carry for you? So again, a bit of a controversial topic because in the UK, all surrogacy is altruistic. So it has to be, it's not done as a money maker and you can't pay your surrogates. You can pay them expenses um, I just realized this is not on screen, so I've used expenses. In- <laughs> it's okay. We've also, I've also done a, another episode, um, oh gosh, I think episode four or five with um, best friends who one surrogate uh, for the other. Someone was a surrogate oh, for the other. So um, it's been a little bit on the podcast before, but yeah. um, it's great to hear your side of things as well and, and what's going on. Yeah, so I mean, in, in, yeah, in the UK, you can't pay, um, and the laws um aren't as strict so the the on the birth certificate will be the birth mother rather than the genetic mother yeah. and then father um, and you have to apply for a birth order and like post-birth order you have to basically go to court to say that we you know kind of adopt them and there is a, a very small chance that they the birth mother can change their mind and I, I luckily had not really heard of it happening, but there is that risk. Then there's, you can do it abroad. So there's other places. There's um, the US have very good surrogacy laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like the Ukraine and Georgia. Yeah, also. I think Ukraine is, is quite a common place to go. Yeah. Okay. So we have decided to do it in the US for the, the, the legal protection that, that offers so we will get a pre-birth order meaning that before the child is born we will be able to have medical rights um, for the child I will go on the birth certificate um, and uh, yeah it's they basically we will be paying a surrogate which means that there is a contract and less risk um, of them turning around and saying we're not I understand. Yeah, no, I understand. And and I understand. I know I've, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups. I've actually left them, but on about surrogacy in the UK, and people are quite anti-American surrogacy because, being brutally honest, it's really really expensive because okay. you're paying the American medical system, yeah. which is horrendous. That is, it is amazing, but it's horrendously expensive. Mm-hmm. And you're paying for the surrogate. And that was a decision, financial decision that we've decided to, to make because I just could not handle that not, not knowing and that yeah. stress. Mm-hmm. Understand. Um, and again, we're in a position that we're able to make that financial choice. So that's where we've decided to, it's amazing. to spend that money. Yeah. No, it's, it's brilliant. It's, success. it's incredible. It's so exciting. And how do, you, how do you actually physically choose who will yeah, be your so surrogate? We signed up with a surrogacy agency. And let me tell you, it is big business in the US. <laughs> like we, we 
interviewed multiple surrogacy agencies, multiple fertility agencies. There was like a month where we had multiple um, evenings where we would just speak to people on the phone about, oh, on, the, on Zoom about surrogacy. And so we, we found an agency that we like and basically we had to make a video about ourselves and no like to advertise yourselves they they the agency tried to match you with someone that they with a surrogate that they think will fit well with you yeah which is great really yeah and then they see your video if the surrogacy surrogates like your video then you meet via zoom or um i guess in, in normal times you would hopefully if you were thinking thinking seriously you'd maybe go and meet them mm -hmm. and yeah hopefully find a match we we joined with them with our agency i think in october so yeah we're hopeful that but in the next couple of months but it's yeah it's just a waiting game okay i see and then with the ivf do you have said you have to go to the us to do the ivf or you no we're, we're doing our ivf in london um and we are then they ship over the frozen embryos oh wow what yeah. on an aeroplane yep gosh <laughs> um, exciting i thought it was someone just had a bag so i was like sure <laughs> I was like, oh, my husband's a pilot. Can we just give it to somebody to put on the flight? And they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's just my hand luggage. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just travel over. And they were like, um, no, 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 no. Um, so, um, I, I mean, again, in an ideal world, we probably would have done everything in the US just to limit that extra stress of what happens if they don't get through customs. Or, But we're not living, we're living in a COVID world. So not, no. and I let's face it, I'm not getting any younger. So I was like, right, let's get those embryos out and on ice and, and then, yeah, make a transfer. And presumably yeah. this is something the surrogacy agency deals with, so they know how to manage the sort, customs and things. Sort of. It, that's actually more the fertility clinics that we are liaising between. So we've got a fertility clinic in London, a fertility clinic in the US, and they are helping organise. Okay. I, we've also made... Um, had been put in touch with um, two couples in the UK that have done it in the US. One of the girls has been unbelievably helpful talking through the process, the, the, the agencies that they've used and the couriers, there's like special couriers that do human tissue. Who knew, items. hey? <laughs> I imagine that it's your job, I just yeah. <laughs> um, But I guess, you know, with people with matches, with for bone marrow and all that sort of yeah. stuff around the world then it you know it is it is a business um and i think i will ha we'll have to liaise somehow the pick up and drop off but yeah it's um that's none of that is the agency it's all incredibly exciting um it's, it's exciting i think it's a lot of logistics and a lot of paperwork um is it feeling quite overwhelming at the moment not not yet i think because at the moment we're like really like we can't do anything about the sur like finding the surrogate. We've done what we can. That's yeah. somebody else's job now. Our job is to create healthy embryos. That's it. Like that's the next step, and that's I think how I'm dealing with it. Just like this is our job now. Mm -hmm. Then we'll come to the next one, rather than feeling like and then we've got to find this and then we've got to do this. So I'm yeah, I'm just trying to take it one one step at a time incredibly sensible well done you <laughs> you're dealing with it better than most <laughs> make it easier because of that the unknown like if it was 
you know, because we could match with someone and we just don't know when we'll be able to get out to the US with with my husband's job. I if we had if it was normal times, mm-hmm. if we matched, we would I would be flying over for every scan, for every appointment as, as you know as much as I could which is exactly how we want to do it we want to be really involved um interesting you're talking about the um the surrogates the best friends I don't think I would be able to do that I don't think I'd be able to see see it happen in that sort of real time I feel like I'd be really jealous and mm-hmm. um, so I quite like the almost the fact that we're going to have a bit of this the disconnect We'd like to get on really well with the, of course, the couple yeah. and we would like them to be sort of lifelong part of our lives because we're going to be really open and honest with our hopefully future children. Uh, there's, um, I'm sure you know about it and oh gosh, you'll have to look on my previous episode because it's in the show notes, but there's a book specifically about, mm. you know, okay, good, lovely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I, th- I think that the more... The more, uh, the earlier you talk about it, the more open and honest you are, the more like it becomes, it's just normal. Just normal. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I feel like nowadays, A, so many more people are doing fertility treatment, but there's so many ways to create families. Yes. You know, it's making it not a taboo and just talking about it and being like, this is, this is the miracle and this is amazing. How great is science? How great are other people? How lucky are we that we were able to hopefully you know, do this and get, you know, get a, a, a get a kid. I don't know, you know. Me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. And can I ask, like, why why now have you decided to, um, obviously now you're going through it, is that why you've decided to, to um, I'm using the word come out, sorry, we were joking about this before, before we press record, but um, is that why you've now decided sort of to tell 60 plus thousand people on social media? <laughs> so there's, it's, there's, it's twofold. Really, we, the more we researched it, the more we realized how common, not common, but how, how much it is happening and how in the US especially, it, it's something that other people, that people are doing. That more, we see it with celebs. Um, you know, the, the only people really that I know that have used surrogates are like Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Kardashian. And that is not a realistic view of what surrogacy is. So the more we, the more we researched about it, the more we realized people aren't talking about it. And, and Tom got quite annoyed with the British laws and was like, this is ridiculous. Like that, that, you know, the NHS doesn't help at all. And the, the law protects the birth mother and not the genetic parents. And, and we were like, we, we kind of need to start talking about this to make it more normal, to give people, to give other people a, this, you know, uh, this is their story. This is what they went through. This is what they found helpful. Cause it's been invaluable speaking to other people about mm-hmm. their experiences. And I, I'm really grateful for those women that sat on Zoom calls with me and talked through theirs. And maybe other people don't have that. And I felt so alone and I didn't know anyone with MLKH. And even though I don't know the people on, like know everybody online, at least with that sort of Instagram world, you feel like you're maybe not so alone. In no, it. you're part and, of a community. Yeah, and the amount of people that I've had messaging me saying either I've done surrogacy or I know someone or I've got MRKH um, or 
we've been through fertility or infertility the amount of people i know in real life that i had no idea that would that that sent me messages that told me about their miscarriages ectopic pregnancies chemical pregnancies ivf challenges their financial burdens and i just had no idea because it's not talked about in the same way that any, almost anything else yeah. is well, I think people are so used to the, the nice normal stories and it's kind of the, the point of the podcast really is just to try and open conversation and take the taboos away. And um, like you said earlier, there is so different, so many ways to have families now um, and we need, we need to kind of all get on board really and, um, yeah. and, and appreciate that. And that now I know, cause I know you were really scared to sort of talk about it um, and, and tell the world um, to put it in that way. How does it feel now? It, I like that it's out there and I that was the other part of my reason I was like it's really hard to sit down with all of your friends and especially the boys like my guy friends I was like how do I just sit down and be like hey so <laughs> and so putting it out there avoided that and then the, the messages that I got from particularly from my guy friends but then also from people that I haven't seen since school that were like or uni that were like oh we, we're going, going through something similar or um or just messages of support being, I think, are really brave. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a really refreshing, but also just a huge weight lifted off. Like having a huge, it felt like this big secret. Yeah. Anytime anyone was like, "Oh, when are you guys having kids?" and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, I don't know. We want to take." I'd always be like, "Oh, we want to take advantage of Tom's staff travel first. And, <laughs> and and I think. Hopefully it also stops some people asking other people because you never know what's going on and how that silly, like that question is like a dagger in the heart for some people. And also not everybody wants children and that's fine as well. That's totally cool too. And yeah, no, I think we're all guilty of that at some point. Having, so now you've kind of come, come through the other side, do you wish you'd done things differently um, over sort of the, the last 15 years or are you okay with with how things have been? There's a couple of things I wish I'd like started fighting earlier to try and when I was not so emotionally drained already to try and get like my eggs frozen on the NHS. Um, I feel like it might have been an easier fight when I was sort of 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, and maybe just trusting a few more people. But really, I, I think the reason so many of my friends have been even more supportive than they might have been five, 10 years ago is because they're either going through their own fertility issues or they've got kids and they understand that, that want for them and that... Um, yeah. The desire. The yeah. yeah. So I wonder whether the response would have been the same or whether people would have felt awkward, actually, 10 years ago because I know certainly I I probably would have found it awkward somebody telling me about fertility issues when I just wasn't in that headspace mm-hmm. when I was 22 I'd have been like oh okay I'm really sorry but you know you don't want kids now anyway like let's go to the pub whereas <laughs> now I feel like you know people are a I think we're talking about mental health way more anyway and I think that people are just more aware at my life stage anyway, my friends yeah. mm-hmm. are all more aware of that and the impact and the, the processes and 
um, that kind of thing. So yeah. there's not much I would really change, no. And so you're starting sort of getting things going next month. Is there anything you're doing at the moment to try and prepare or are you trying to be pretty relaxed about it and um, go with the flow? So I'm taking like supplements and, um, but just, and I, I said I was going to stop all alcohol and then, um, and then lockdown two happened and Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, for the NHS in an incredibly stressful time. Yeah. So I've definitely cut that down and I do, I am going to, I am going to stop. This sounds so bad. Um, but I've just been trying to eat more mindfully, sleep a bit more and just try not to, to overwhelm myself. Um, during the actual period where I'm going to have the injections, I hopefully won't have to be on COVID positive wards, but at the moment I am, and I'm just being a bit more careful. I mean, I'm being as careful as I yeah, should of course. be. Yeah. PPE and trying to follow government guidelines. Um, and will you be able to, how will you fit it um, all in around work? Well, does work know that that's what you're going to do? Cause it's, it's like a job. Work, no, but I mean, um, this is another thing. Like, I wanted to say, like, if I could do this at the hospital that I work yeah, in, yeah, honestly, it's so much easier. And you kind of feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall, being like, "What is my what? How much is this costing you versus how many days I might anyway?" So, because um, you do you say you're going into London to, yeah, yeah so that's so, a, a big work at a London out. So okay, um, and we've we've got we basically partly chose our clinic because they open till 7 p.m. So yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to be a bit flexible with my hours um, in terms of starting earlier, finishing earlier to go to appointments. And yeah. if we need to, if I need to take some annual leave for it, then so be it. And yeah. again, that's another thing. The NHS don't give you any days off for like medical days off for IVF, but they'll give you, pregnancy like maternity you know mm -hmm. when you go to get days off and I just I think that there needs to be I think employers need to look at their policies for that because it's as it one in seven couples struggle with yeah. fertility I think and times are massively changing and like people are talking about it more more and people are having children later and um, that's making the fact that we're more people are having fertility treatment um, more of a thing and I think as t unfortunately it doesn't you know it's not now but I think as, as the years go by I think policies will change eventually mm -hmm. and and things will catch up but it doesn't help people in the situation at the moment like you say no, and I think just being vocal and starting to talk about more more about this and sharing saying look I work for one of the biggest employers in the whole of the UK yeah and also a very female centric employer and, and health <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and and things things need things need to change so again if i i feel like that's you know part of the reason for sharing is just to try and be vocal and try and start conversations it's incredible thank you so much for for doing that and for <laughs> exposing yourself in that way it's yeah. um no because you will be helping people um all around the world so that's it's a really courageous thing you're doing Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, at the end of my podcast, I like to ask um, a question about um, if you could have coffee, or I've been corrected to glasses of gin or wine, but um, I'm more of a coffee girl, <laughs> with any other woman, um, be it fictional or um, family or a friend, um, who, who may that be? 
So I think mine would be my grandfather's mum, who I did did get to meet, but she, uh, I don't don't really remember her. I was very little. Um, And she apparently was this incredibly strong Scottish woman. She was a um, head teacher. Uh, She sort of was, you know, the head of the family uh, from quite a young age. And um, I just think she would have been such a strong sort of inspirational woman to have known. Or I'd love, you know, I'd love to have met her when she was my age. Yeah, when she was in her prime. Yeah, and dealing with the war and her, I think her husband died when she was very young and growing growing up on on an, a farm in in Scotland in the borders and Freezing. seeing yeah seeing <laughs> the success that so my grandfather became very successful and and I'd love to just know how she felt about about that because it was essentially his hard work but her hard work that kind of course of yeah I'm sure him. I'm sure she was very very proud and I know um you're not quite there. You've not quite started yet. But is there any kind of little life hacks or um, any advice um, you could give other people who may be in a similar situation? Don't read. Don't don't believe everything you read on the internet. Um, speak to experts and get their, you know, honest advice rather than necessarily as you know as I say this as a blogger, but necessarily people sharing because I read. You know, there's there's there seems to be blogs that are like, you can't have this or this or this or this, and you shouldn't be eating anything processed, any sugar, <laughs> anything. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it just made me feel like a failure that I basically couldn't stick to this diet for more than one day. No, I was, um, I was very similar. I, I started looking at these diets and I bought a book and I looked at the ingredients and thought, I am going to be starving. I I will not be able to and I just said to my husband said I can't do it I'm not I'm just going to pretend I never bought the book and I'm just going to carry on as I am because that is a stress I do not need and it's just going to make me worse and I'm like I'm a qualified registered dietitian and I'm feeling overwhelmed and (laughs) and I'm like I know what advice I give to the women that are pregnant and the women that are trying to get pregnant I'm like why am I not following that yeah my own advice So yeah, that would be the the main one. But then yeah, also I read things like I was going to have to have surgery to have my um, the follicles removed, and actually the the um, the doctor was like, no, no, we're just going to do it in the same way that we do it for everybody else. Like I thought I was going to have to have keyhole surgery and wow. stuff, and because I'd read that maybe that happened to one person because right. they couldn't, and and I you know I got read two and two and got six. So yeah, just try. <laughs> you know, re- get your information from cr- credible sources and speak to other people that have been through it that are going to give you their, their sort of honest yeah. friends and family that have been through it, if you can, that, mm-hmm. that can share their honest um, advice and opinions. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And for people who want to, um, to follow you, how, how do they find you? Yes, I'm at The Runner Beans on Instagram and my blog is just therunnerbeans.com. And any races planned or are they... Oh, go on. Oh, yeah, I've got a podcast, but it's mostly about running, uh, called Cook, Eat, Run. Fabulous. If it's got food and running in, then I'm, I'm yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cookbook of the same same name, Cook, Eat, Run uh, cookbook, that is not faddy. It's like healthy, but 
real food, real um, real nutrition, easy ingredients that you'll find at the local supermarket rather than having to spend £100 at the health food shop. Yes, absolutely. Quick, realistic meals. So amazing! Um, I love the way you like. Oh yeah, I've got an Instagram account. Oh, and I've written a book, and I've got a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, um, are there any races in the UK, or is everything cancelled at the moment? Are you are you training for anything? So you're just keeping yourself moving right now. Hoping. I mean, I was saying this to a friend yesterday. I was like, the one benefit of the fact that I I'm not going to be getting pregnant is that I can put races on my calendar and not think about that. And I'm. I'm looking at a big goal race in September and I know that we're not going to have a baby by then and I'm mm-hmm. not going to be pregnant. So yeah, um, looking at hopefully doing a goal marathon in September next year, but awesome. as yet, unplanned. I think it's nice to have, um, I think it's really important actually to have something else to focus on as well, because if not, you can become completely all consumed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking from experience, <laughs> it's not always yeah. healthy. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be nice to have something that, feels a bit more in my control yeah absolutely well thank you so much for talking to me and for being so open um and um and good luck with everything and i will be following closely and just sending you all my love and luck and we'll all be behind you i'm sure thank you and thank you so much for everything you're doing and having you know giving people a platform to talk about the perfect world of fertility yeah yeah because it happens to be that it affects like you said an awful lot of people so thank you yeah we're trying we'll we'll see how we go (laughs) thank you and have a lovely rest of day thanks and you thank you really want to thank Charlie so much for speaking with me today as I know this is all really new territory for her and I wish them all the love and luck in the world as they start on their journey. But as Charlie has also found when we speak out we find we're not alone and life is far easier to navigate when we have a tribe of people to do it with. Check out her Instagram to follow her progress plus all the running info and gorgeous shots of the English countryside. Have a super week, everyone. And if you haven't already, let's get our Christmas trees up before the next show. Take care.